What started as a petition has now become so much more. The Student Debt Crisis Center is one of the foremost advocacy organizations in the student loan conversation, and their activism has been central to efforts to extend the student debt moratorium. President and founder Natalia Abrams, along with Executive Director Cody Hunanian, joined CPRI's John Crescenzo to discuss the progress they've made, the biggest challenges they face, and what's next in student debt. All that and more on the Consortium for Policy Research and Education's Research Minutes podcast, next. Hi, and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm John Crescenzo. First, I'd like to ask you all, how did your organization come about? And uh, give us some background on some of the work that you do around student debt relief. So our organization started in 2012. So we're about to celebrate 10 years coming up here in August. And we actually, we were a petition before we were an organization. There was a petition at moveon.org by my predecessors to cancel student debt, or at the time we used the term forgive student loan debt. And that petition received over a million signers. And we turned that mailing list into an organization in 2012. And the petition itself began in 2010. So yeah, this has been you know a labor of love for me. I, I was a student loan borrower. I'm one of the lucky ones that actually has paid off my debt, but you know that was only within the last couple of years. So you know it's our theory of change to work with borrowers and lawmakers and fellow advocacy organizations to once and for all end the student debt crisis. So what does that mean in reality? It means that we do a lot of advocating for policy changes. And then I think something very unique to our organization since 2014, since right when Cody joined our team, just two years into the organization, we started doing workshops to teach people about repayment options, public service loan forgiveness, everything that they weren't getting from their loan servicer. And so that direct interaction with borrowers has really framed our thinking and having, you know, not just their story shared, but trying to help them navigate this system has been incredibly enlightening and frustrating at the same time. Yeah. And I love that our origin story is that petition. You know, from day one, our organization has been about everyday people and borrowers themselves. Uh, and when I joined this, this organization and started working with Natalia, I was a recent graduate with a ton of student loan debt. Now I'm a not so recent graduate with still a ton of student loan debt, but I'm one of the people that's impacted and we you know, really do echo the voices of people that are impacted by this. And that is our, our number one goal. It's not to talk on behalf of Cody or Natalia or even the organization at times, but it's really to connect with people who want to make a difference. And I've loved every second of that part of our work. And when you talk about, you know, notable wins, the last few years have really been a cherry on top of what has been a almost a decades long effort on our part. Obviously, the discussion of student debt cancellation and really significant relief for borrowers has become one of the most talked about and important policy discussions in America. Just getting there is a huge win because when I started working on this issue uh, with Student Debt Crisis Center, you know, Natalia and, and a few of her peers were really some of the only people calling this issue a crisis that needed to be addressed. And now um, it really is something that families across the country are talking about at the kitchen table. So that's just one of many wins. We could talk about some of the more 
wonky policy uh, wins over the years, but um, just the progress of this movement has been has been inspiring. Yeah, and the growth has been exponential. In the, these last three years, we've seen that mailing list, which we were able to maintain at a million double uh, to over 2 million people nationwide. So we got the announcement a couple of days ago before this recording that the student debt moratorium has been pushed back until uh, August. Your organization conducted a survey with student borrowers. What were the results of the survey? And can you explain the financial situation of the borrowers you surveyed as payments were set to resume in May? Yeah, you know, this uh, recent survey was actually the fifth survey that we've done through the pandemic. And we've been kind of tracking the experience of borrowers um, as they've navigated the pandemic. And at each corner, when we've surveyed folks, the situation has been different. And I think that has been very interesting. So, you know, early in the pandemic, we were hearing from student loan borrowers who lost their job or had reduced hours, obviously, like millions of others in America, the pandemic was really pulling uh, people out of work. And that meant that they were just in this huge financial distress. At the end of last year, we started talking to borrowers through our survey and found uh, that even though most student loan borrowers were back to work, they still couldn't afford returning to payments because of the longer term obstacles that the pandemic had created. You know, we're not just going right back to normal. This is a protracted crisis. Now, this fifth survey, the one that we launched uh, just about a month ago, showed that borrowers were still not ready to resume payments. And they were now facing this extra burden of skyrocketing inflation. And so uh, nine in 10 borrowers were not ready to resume payments. And I think more concerning, one in three borrowers were going to skip out on food and rent and healthcare and other basic needs just to prepare for student loan payments to resume. So we're really talking about a situation where student loan payments that the federal government can turn on and off could prevent American families from surviving, keeping a roof over their head and supporting their families. You know, that is just unthinkable. And at the same time, the government has pulled back on stimulus spending. It did not extend the uh, child tax credit. So the student loan moratorium has been a major lifeline to people. Can you talk about that? Well, thank goodness we're at three now extensions under Biden's presidency. So I couldn't imagine, you know, having that other shoe drop for uh, student loan borrowers. Many, I don't have the survey stat, but many of the respondents said that the, you know, most beneficial of the pandemic relief was the student loan pause. So, you know, some people um, have $1,000 monthly payments if they borrowed to three, $400,000, which we see with a lot of borrowers. So that's been far more, you know, beneficial than a one-time or, you know, $2,000 worth of check. Even though some in the media and in on Capitol Hill will say the economy is doing great. Borrowers themselves don't feel that way. They don't connect to this booming economy. They don't, many, many student loan borrowers can't afford to be in the stock market or the things that we've seen rise. They're just seeing the pain at the pump, food prices double, and they can't imagine having one more payment. So, you know, while we have applauded these extensions at this point, the payment pause is not policy, and we need to have permanent policy that actually helps borrowers out. We're starting to see that frustration with each extension, especially when they're three months or less. It's not enough time to really plan their financial futures. 
Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. We had this announcement this week that the payment pause has been extended. And in many ways, that's great news. And people are applauding that. What I noticed was that we were hearing from a lot of borrowers who were, yes, they were celebrating that this was an extension, but they were actually telling us how before the announcement, they were incredibly scared and confused and and afraid of what was going to happen. And that's not the way we should run policy where families across the country are on edge, waiting at the edge of their chair, just waiting to find out what's going to happen. And they're they're really feeling afraid. Uh, that's what we hear from our borrowers that are reaching out to us. Yeah, they just keep kicking the can down the road three months every time. Prior to the pandemic, the loan servicing industry was already complex and bureaucratic. But now the government had to reassign millions of borrowers to new loan servicers. And your survey points out that most people haven't been contacted by their servicer. Should borrowers be concerned about paying the wrong servicer or any kind of data or or information loss when it comes to the payments they've already made? So I think there's about 16 million borrowers that are going to or will be assigned a new loan servicer. There's nothing that borrower needs to do on their part. It's automatic. So I don't I'm not necessarily afraid of the borrower paying the wrong company um, because auto debits were canceled during uh, with the COVID pause. So people are going to have to re-sign up for that. I'm more concerned about data being lost, things like PSLF, uh, public service loan forgiveness credits or income driven repayment credits, that type of data. We are constantly telling borrowers to keep track of their own paperwork and to print out their information in case there are discrepancies. It shouldn't be on the onus of the borrower. Our federal government should be taking care of this. But unfortunately, with things like 16 million people needing to find a new loan servicer, it's important to keep track of your own information. But people won't run into the problem of paying the wrong company. What has been the experience of student borrowers with loan servicers, as well as the role servicers play in this system of repayment and debt? Well, you know, part of the reason we have a student debt crisis isn't just the fact that borrowers have a ton of student loan debt when they leave school, even though that is a huge component of it. What is also a major problem is that the student loan servicing companies, which, mind you, are are private businesses that profit off of helping manage the government student loan portfolio, have misled borrowers, put them in programs that aren't best for their finances at some times just lost their information, like Natalia mentioned, and at other times just have really exercised illegal business practices. I mean, Navient, one of the most you know notorious of the federal student loan servicers, is the most complained about company at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's complaint database. That just tells you exactly what kind of poor service uh, borrowers get from these, quote, servicers. And what this means is not just lost data or miss a little bit of misinformation, what it means is that borrowers miss out on complete loan forgiveness. It means that they have thousands of dollars added to the amount that they pay back. This is something that really means that borrowers face extra financial hurdles. And for some, it puts them in a sinking pit where they can never get out from underneath their student loans. So the issue of student loan servicers, while it's a little more technical and it involves understanding the system a little bit more, is a number one priority for advocates like us, as well as government agencies that are trying to hold the industry accountable. Yeah, we have to keep a really sharp focus on consumer protections in this space. And it's 
I always say, even if we canceled every dollar of debt tomorrow, there are still, you know, injustices and lawsuits to be had for all of these consumer abuses. Yeah, just to add something. Um, yeah, one of the researchers I interviewed, uh, Julio Bishop pointed this out from his research of uh, his interviews, which is that one person said, we pitch student loan servicers as financial advisors, when in fact, they're more like used car salesmen. Yeah, even the term servicer, make, you know, like versus your lender or loan officer, it just sounds like they're here to provide a service and they're here to do something good for you, um, when in fact, it's quite the opposite. They're just debt collectors. Yeah, you know, the servicers too are creating a vicious cycle. Like this public service loan forgiveness program to me is a great example of this. We have advocates like the Student Debt Crisis Center and our allies that are working to fix the public service loan forgiveness program. And then as soon as there is an announcement that there's a temporary fix, we hear that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is having to oversee these companies for misleading borrowers and preventing them from accessing this new relief. So, you know, in some ways they're they're undercutting some of the progress that's being made. And that's just, you know, really unacceptable. Yeah, and I guess one last thing on servicers, it's so important to note that these are federal government contracts, therefore our tax dollars are paying for these debt collectors to mislead us and make this debt crisis that much worse. Um, and just briefly, can you talk about some of the unique challenges that borrowers of color face uh, when it comes to student debt? Yeah, I hate to say it, but when we run these surveys, almost across the board, we see disproportionate uh, issues with black and brown borrowers. And so you know, we just talked about student loan servicers. One of the biggest issues that we see with black and brown borrowers is that they don't hear from their student loan servicers or they don't have the proper channels of communication with their student loan servicers to be aware of all the updates that are happening. That's something that's shown through every survey we've done through the pandemic. But it's more than that. You know, we're talking about systemic inequities that are so much more deep rooted than just the last two years of the pandemic. Um, one of the stats that jumps out at me is after 12 years of paying back student loans, white borrowers are nearly paid off on their student loans on average, and black borrowers owe more than they originally borrowed on average. And so that just tells you, you know, with racial wage gap issues and other uh, systemic inequities that it's a huge obstacle for black student loan borrowers to uh, be able to manage this debt. And you already touched on this a bit, but... We hear in terms of arguments uh, against extending the moratorium, which is that, or debt cancellation, is that we've already given students plenty of relief by not charging them payment or interest over the last two years. Uh, can you uh, respond to that? Right. So while no interest has accrued over the last two years, that's not to say for so many borrowers that you know, a lifetime of the loan of compound and capitalized interest isn't still there waiting for them when they return to repayment. So many borrowers, you know, as you can see from our survey, they haven't been able to make payments during this time. Thank goodness for that pandemic relief. But I think the, or I know the financial situation for so many of these borrowers has just gotten worse over the past couple of years. And so they're not in a better place to be making payments I just heard on a, another radio show I did that this morning that ha I think half a million people are have been making payments during the pandemic. They've had the ability to make payments that's out of 45 million borrowers. So it's just a very small number of people that 
maybe took, you know, chipped away a little bit of principle during this time. Another argument uh, we often hear against student debt cancellation is, and I'm sure you've heard this too, which is, you know, it's about personal responsibility. And at the same time, we shouldn't wipe out debt for rich Harvard students. But can you respond to that misconception and the actual reality of the majority of borrowers? And I think we've touched on a lot of this. That's it's interesting working on one issue, a single issue for ten years, and I've been through many different theories on how we should solve this problem. But when you see the abuses by the loan servicers, you see how much gets added of unnecessary interest and fees to people's loans. You know, if only it was that simple of them paying back what they borrowed. But we see so many borrowers that you know see their loans double over the lifetime of their loans, and they have maybe even paid that principal balance. And so it, it doesn't work like a typical financial product. It's not like your mortgage. It doesn't seem to make sense on the back end um, in the same way. So, I, I, you know, that's the first pushback on the personal accountability. I mean, so I think that we need to remember that the student loan system is not comprised of just people that graduated, first and foremost. I mean, there's so many people that attend trade schools, attend some college, some, you know, just a few classes, and they also took out student loans. And, you know, seeing the people that are suffering with loans, as we addressed today, you know, of black and brown student loan borrowers being the most impacted, it just feels like such a disconnect to then constantly think it's all these Harvard and Yale and Penn students out there that are, you know, do it, that are doing so well when in fact we know that for the most part rich people don't borrow but even if they do they pay it back in a fraction of the time as their not so wealthy counterparts yeah and i i gotta jump in on the personal accountability piece too after you know eight years of working on this issue and just hearing that argument over and over again you know it's just kind of had enough about it but what people don't realize, they don't talk to student loan borrowers every day, the way that me and Natalia and our organization does, is that these borrowers are responsible people. Student loan borrowers tell us, by and large, that they want to be able to pay back their loans. It is an American principle to pay back your debts. I think it's ingrained in many of our DNAs. Nobody wants a handout. What they want is a fair system that works, and it doesn't. And so when we talk about canceling student loan debt, it's not about providing giveaways to individuals. It's about repairing the harm from a broken system. And it's about fixing and reimagining the system in a way that we all agree is better for this country. And on the second part there, there was the, the argument that you know somehow this is, this is unfair. And, and I can't help but point out some of the more recent polling that showed that a majority of people who never had student loans in the first place and a majority of people who paid back their student loans support some level of student debt cancellation. And what that tells me is that people don't think canceling debt is unfair or immoral. What they think is unfair and immoral is having a system that crushes families with debt just for going to get educated in the first place. So that is one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, that we're really starting to poke holes in more recently as this cancel student debt discussion really matures. Yeah. And majority of uh, Americans over decades have supported some kind of universal higher education system. So can you talk about how debt cancellation and universal public higher education go hand in hand? 
you know, we don't just talk about canceling student loan debt and ending the student debt crisis. We also work very hard on addressing the college affordability piece. You know, that is the root cause of this crisis is the cost of college. You know, I think it's just important to remind people that free public education isn't some, you know, liberal pipe dream. Free public education was the vision of the president. It was the vision of the state of California and many others just 50, 60 years ago. And so we have moved backwards in our progress towards a more equitable and educated society. And so we need to return back to those principles. And number one is just investing in higher education. And the last point I'll just make about it is, you know, for anyone that really wants to see America be a great nation, we have to have a well-educated citizenry who can have, you know, high-skilled jobs in the 21st century economy, can be civically engaged and informed. All of that is tied to education. And so I look at free public education as an opportunity for America to be its best self. And so I think we will return back to those principles, but we're still fighting for it. Progress and changes will always leave someone out. You know, there are those people that paid off their debt and this what about meism, but there's also those that got COVID before we had the vaccine. And, you know, I'm not mad that we have a vaccine and that we're moving forward. So, you know, we have to want our next generation to be better off than we were before. And we've gone backwards in our country on that idea as well. So as you pointed out, extending the debt moratorium again and again is just kicking the can down the road. Not too long ago, President Biden promised 10,000 in debt cancellation. So can you talk about some of the practical and ideal solutions to the student debt crisis? So first off, candidate Biden uh, promised a bunch of different things when it came to student loan debt. He said $10,000. We heard that a lot. But he also said that he was going to cancel debt for everyone making under $125,000 that went to a public college. That's, you know, broad-based debt cancellation. That's for more than the current proposals of 50000 at least $50,000 in debt cancellation that we've seen from Senator Schumer and Senator Warren. So we champion broad-based debt cancellation um, and canceling as much debt as we possibly can. We understand that we might not get full and complete debt cancellation. So with the remaining outstanding debt that's out there, we also need to do more to actually fix the system, income-driven repayment and public service loan forgiveness programs that actually work and actually help borrowers without these huge craters and pitfalls that make them, you know, be in repayment for 20 or 30 years. We just heard Senator Patty Murray, I believe last week or the week before, echo very similar um, things that I'm saying right now, including that borrowers that have been in repayment for 20 years or more should just be out of the system, have their debts wiped out. So there's a lot that we can do on the paying your debts backside. I think that it has to start with canceling debt first. You know, something just kind of on a more economic side, if we can say cancel half of it and contract this $1.7 trillion loan system, it will make it more manageable. Yeah, it's it's such a massive portfolio that even the Congressional Budget Office has already written off that debt when they project future revenue for the government. Uh, another one of our guests, we interviewed Marshall Steinbaum, brought this uh, this great point up, which is that the student debt crisis is no crisis and an everlasting crisis. 
unlike the housing bubble, the house of cards won't ever collapse in a in a singular moment. So can you touch on some of the short-term and long-term consequences of this? So Marcel is absolutely right. And I think it's why it, in fact, it's why it's such a big crisis. We're not going to have this single day or single moment that we go, now it's collapsing the way we saw with uh, the housing market or we see with the stock market every few years. Um, but that just makes it more insidious that it can grow and grow and grow without being attended to. And so I think the consequences that we're going to see is, you know, continued expanding of the racial wealth gap if we don't cancel debt, as opposed to narrowing it if we do. Um, we're going to see more and more people and not just young people, because we know this is a multi-generational issue, not be able to afford homes, not be able to change jobs or have any type of freedom in their lives because they're going to be tied to these ridiculous, egregious loan payments every month. Part of the reason we're not going to have that, you know, big bubble type of crash is because the federal government holds so much of the student loan debt. And when you think then about a system in which the federal government has this slow burning crisis for individuals who can't purchase homes, can't start families, can't start small businesses, and they have the opportunity to just erase the debt, it feels silly in that sense, right? We're talking about the federal government just having this, you know, death by a million cuts type of crisis for families when they control the levers that could erase it. So uh, Natalia is absolutely right. We won't see this single day event where the system collapses in on itself. But when you think about why we would want to accept the federal government, you know, slow burning this when they really have the power to just end it. That's how I want to think about this. And so it's just all the more reason why the federal government should cancel student loan debt. And, you know, and we should remind folks, too, when we talk about canceling student loan debt, it doesn't mean that the government's going to write a one trillion dollar check. What it means is that the money's already out the door. They've already given borrowers these loans for college. They're maybe not going to be collecting those payments. But you just said it as the as the Congressional Budget Office and other agencies predict the future of the student loan portfolio. Less and less people are able to make their payments. Less and less of that money's actually going to make it back. Uh, it needs to just be written off and we need to move on from a really what's been described as a failed experiment, a failed system that doesn't really work. Yeah, it's just so bizarre to think of the federal government as this lender than profiting off the backs of its citizens. It's a very you know bizarre setup. We're used to banks or companies taking advantage of us or you know being in that position, but not the federal government. During the Trump administration, we passed, a, ironically, a tax cut for wealthy Americans that was equal to almost exactly the amount of student loan debt that we had in America. And so for the first time ever, we saw the government really right away $1.7 trillion in revenue while we were on the sidelines screaming that student loan borrowers needed this relief, not wealthy millionaires and billionaires. So uh, that was, I think, the most evident proof that a trillion dollar crisis in America is within our ability to fix. The student debt cancelization movement has grown tremendously in a very short period of time. Uh, so can you talk about how pivotal this moment is? Yeah, so we are now at six times loans have been put on pause. I think it's really important to note something else that was announced with the payment pause is a fresh start, which is pulling all federal loans, student loan borrowers out of default. And that's huge. That actually is, to me, the bigger part of the announcement that 
when loans resume or if they resume, there will be no no one in default. And for those borrowers that have been in federal loan default, it's been terrible for them. Their credit is destroyed. Before the pandemic, they would have wage garnishments, their tax returns seized. Um, so this really gives them a new lease on life to come out of this pandemic not being in default. I think that's really crucial. And it's been kind of amazing in terms of the amount of organizations and support that we've seen in this space uh, beginning before the pandemic, but really with the pandemic shining a light on this crisis, that we now have something like 420 organizations that support broad-based debt cancellation. You know, when I got started, we were definitely considered super far to the left talking about any type of loan forgiveness 10 years ago. And now we see the majority leader of the Senate championing debt cancellation along with something like 86 co-sponsors. So it's huge. It's the, the movement is not just with the organizations. We see it with, polit- with lawmakers. And then more importantly, we see it with people. And the you know people, the borrowers themselves have, after decades of just abuse by their loan servicers have come around to the fact that this is what they want. They want to see their debt canceled. They've tried. They've tried to do it right. And it, I think the most fair and equitable answer to this is debt cancellation. Going back to what you said, Cody, that bar, you know they just want it to be fair. But after trying to pay something back for so long, seeing a 10-year loan loan turn into 20 or 30, you know, student loans were never intended to be mortgages. And that's what they've become. And when I think about, you know, the momentum building, I, I always want to remind our supporters and the people that are in this movement with us that like our goal is to cancel student loan debt. So many of us are fighting for that. But just because we haven't gotten there yet doesn't mean that that this momentum building isn't securing wins along the way. And so when I think about all the, the reforms that have happened over the last few years, they're all directly tied to just grassroots advocacy and organizing that groups like us and our allies are doing. And so I think about, for example, the public service loan forgiveness waiver that's helped make this program work better. You know, we helped organize 45,000 stories from people who hadn't received public service loan forgiveness, even though they were supposed to by law. That helped create the urgency to fix the program. When I think about this recent extension, you know, over 100,000 of our supporters took action in support of extending the pause and canceling student loan debt. And it all culminated with us helping organize folks on the ground on Monday just to find out on Wednesday that an extension would be announced. So there is a direct thread from the work that everyday people are doing to the wins that we're having along the way. And that's exactly why we should continue to fight for cancellation, because when we do this work and we keep vocal and take these actions, we are securing wins. So uh, it's always a great reminder that we're not at the end of the road yet, um, but we're winning a lot of victories. We're securing a lot of victories along the way. Yeah, I just read in the news that the Student Debt Collective was hosting a rally the other day. We had one of our team members at the event, um, and it was great to see hundreds, maybe even a thousand. It was hard to get an account, but it was on a Monday protesting student debt cancellation. Um, Also on Monday, we um, did a big action where we did a petition to send a pen to Biden. You know, maybe he just hasn't found his pen yet to sign the executive order. So we, uh, over 100,000 people took that action. And then our uh, fellows at Student Debt Crisis Center delivered it to the back of the White House since we can't actually get inside. Um, We staged a 
delivery of those. Uh, lastly, is there anything you'd like to add um, or anything you'd like to address that I haven't brought up? Well, I think in terms of another place that we're winning or that is getting improved is public service loan forgiveness. Right now, there is a temporary waiver for public service loan forgiveness that ends October 31st. So just really important if you um, have been previously denied or it, it used to be or and will still go back to in, unless we make it permanent that you could have a federal loan, but be in the wrong loan type or be in the wrong repayment program and that disqualified you from public service loan forgiveness. They right now have a temporary waiver, which pretty much if you have a federal loan, you've worked in public service for 10 years, so you have the correct job, you will get your loans canceled or forgiven. And so it's just, we're trying to reach as many public service workers as we can before October 31st to have them apply for that waiver because it's not automatic. My addition would be that one of the great pieces of progress that we've made in this movement is securing many more allies in positions of power and decision-making levels. And when I think about the fact that the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, is an ally to our movement to cancel student loan debt, and when I think about years ago when borrowers would contact us and say that no one in Washington cared about their experience, and today there's dozens, over 80 lawmakers who've signed their name in support of debt cancellation, that is huge progress. And so I, you know, my reminder to people who are, are impacted is, your lawmaker likely supports this movement. And if they don't, you likely can move them, you know, to the right side on this. And, you know, just next week, we're going to be hosting a summit with Senator Schumer and Senator Elizabeth Warren and other experts and advocates. And it's just a reminder that we really have changed, you know, the hearts and minds, not just of everyday people, but of the lawmakers and policymakers and decision makers in Washington, D.C. that can take our voices and put it into action in a codified legal way. And so that, to me, has been really exciting. Natalia Abrams is the president and founder of the Student Debt Crisis Center. Cody Hunanian is the organization's executive director. Their work can be found at studentdebtcrisis.org and at debtcrisisorg on Twitter. Make sure to follow us at CPRE Knowledge Hub wherever you get your podcasts.